The following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Everett Book Club. We are twice-monthly-ish book review and discussion podcasts specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy. My name is Ruiz Tremello, and I know every Shakira song by heart. And my name is Marguerite, and I also listen to music. Together we travel the world, evading the bounties of 36 intelligence agencies. And this week, we're in the middle of British Columbia, Canada. Basically, Ruiz spun out on the Coquihalla Highway, and instead of waiting for a tow truck, we just started walking through the forest. It's been four days, and we're being tracked by a pack of werewolves. Wolves, Ruiz. They're just wolves. And there are at least 20 of them. But we're not here today to talk about rabies vaccinations, because we're actually here to discuss The Bright Illusion by C.L. Moore from 1934. Ooh. It's a very old one. Yeah, that's good. This should be interesting. Today's story comes to us from the 18 Greatest Science Fiction Stories, originally titled Master's Choice. This is the same collection that The New Accelerator was pulled from hmm. by H.G. Walls, if you remember that episode. Vaguely. And so I will describe the cover. It's weird. There's a brain thing, but it might be a planet. It's got an eye. It's creepy. Excellent. That was a perfect description. Thank you. I thought that I'm good at words. Word. The era in which our story takes place is you'll see. Illuminating. So let's just dive right into this one, shall we? Mm-hmm. First sentence is, Through the blinding shimmer of sun upon sand, Dixon squinted painfully at the curious mirage ahead. He was reeling with thirst and heat and weariness, and about him the desert heaved in long, blurred waves. But through the haze of his own weariness, and through the sun haze upon the desert, he peered anxiously at the thing and could not make it out. So we open upon Dixon, only name. Just one name. Yeah, he's like, um... Other people with one name. Mm-hmm. He's exploring the Sahara Desert in the 1930s, and ahead of him he sees a curious mirage, what appears to be a building shaped like a giant egg, hmm. half buried in the sand. It glows a golden yellow, and its surface seems to shimmer and move. As he approaches, he finds all sorts of bodies scattered through the sand around the egg. Oh no, retreat, retreat. In various states of decomposition. Some, like the corpses of a French Foreign Legion officer, appear somewhat new, while others look ancient. Hmm, I think he should probably not keep going. Although Dixon assumes that the egg has something to do with the scores of bodies, he feels compelled to continue toward it. Just like every other dead body there. Also, it's in the middle of the Sahara, and there aren't too many other places to go. Let's go towards the death egg. As he gets closer, the golden radiance of the egg seems to engulf him, and he closes his eyes. In fire. To wake up inside the egg. He can see out to the desert, but inside he's at rest. To quote, Thirst and hunger and weariness had vanished in a breath. He knew no fear or anxiety. Because he was dead. Dixon lays inside the egg for quite some time, what with time having lost its meaning and all. And he slowly becomes aware of what appears to be waves permeating his being, as though searching through his body and mind and also flooding him with calm. Hmm. 
Only good can come from this. Sure. But then the waves build, and time seems to restart. And Dixon becomes aware of an intelligence probing at his mind and attempting to communicate. It's the egg, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It speaks to him not in words, but in concepts. Ooh. To quote, Divinely serene, divinely abstract, it allowed knowledge to flow through the brain of the man suspended in its heart. And by measured degrees, that knowledge built itself up in his mind. And that knowledge? Mm-hmm. Lucky for us, the reader, or the listeners, Dixon is the chosen one. Ooh. Quote, For a long while, this being had been waiting here, trapping the men who came near, sending its light waves and floods through their minds to illuminate their thoughts and their capacity for knowledge, probing their intelligences. All those others laying outside had been found wanting. Mm-hmm. The being had discarded them and waited in its serene passivity until the right man came by. Ooh, we're all waiting for the right man. A man with only one name. You bet. There's a pause while the being lets Dixon rest before the next brain upload, where it tells him an origin story about how it's inconceivably old and came from unthinkably far away, before eventually finding our universe and then stumbling onto the Earth, where it came to rest in the sand some unknown age ago. Just waiting for people to wander into the desert. Waiting for the chosen one. <laughs> to wander into the desert. And finally, the being says why Dixon is the chosen one, and what he's chosen for. Oh, please, do tell. To quote again, There was, in another part of space, a world that this being desired. Or no, not desired. There was nothing so human or personal a thing as desire about it. A world which it meant to have. A very alien world, he gathered, from the sort he knew peopled by alien creatures and built in other dimensions by those which formed his own universe. And on this world, the beings there worshipped a powerful god. And the egg being that is communicating with Dixon intends to destroy that god and take his place. Of course he does. Who wouldn't want that? I know I would. I know, that's my plan. But to quote again, this god which it meant to dispossess was very powerful. It had need of an intelligent, animate creature from a world different enough in structure so that the god's peculiar powers would have no effect upon him. Hmm. And so that's the moment that Dixon finds out that he's Neo. <laughs> uh-huh. He's told he's to be transported there, armed in potent ways, and sent out into this new world to overthrow the god's domain and make way for his sponsor to take possession. Dixon can tell that the proposition is not mandatory. He definitely has a choice. Oh, does he? Unlike Neo in The Matrix. Sure, he has a choice. He also has the choice to stab his benefactor in the back and become that god himself. Ooh. But the being communicates to him that if he decides against being the one... He will die. He'll be released into the desert. To die. Where he's free to live his life... Naked in the desert. And die at the hands of some nearby Tuareg, or die slowly for lack of water. Yep. Dixon muses over the concept. Hmm. Hmm, should I die, or should I help someone pay up a god? And then he realizes how grand an adventure it would be to travel across the universe and unseat a god. Sure, because he's basically invincible, isn't he? If he's the one. Plot <gasps> armor. Is he the one? <laughs> well, he's told he is. I bet he tells everyone that. Yeah, baby, you're the one. <laughs> and the very moment that the slightest flicker of consent ripples across his mind, the being enfolds him, and oblivion swallows him up. Ooh, well. Consciousness returns to Dixon very slowly, 
but, quote, he had a vague impression of vast spaces traversed and barriers surmounted. He senses that space itself is somehow different in this corner of the cosmos, and, quote, they had crossed a gulf greater than he could comprehend. This tiny human brain. Staring out from the inside of the egg, Dixon looks down on a planet so alien that he could barely stand to look at it for very long. Oh no, this isn't going to go well. To quote, he had an instant impression of a land that shrieked and raved with maniacal color beyond any conception of color as he knew it. Oh no, instant regret. It's kind of H.P. Lovecraft-ish. Mm-hmm. The planet below is further described as one vast city made up of countless terraces with incredible angles and impossible colors. Like a colorful usher? Exactly. Another quote here. Wild, staggering lines and arcs and jagged peaks, crazy inclines broken by ridges of eruptive color, zigzag bridges, buildings that leaned out at gravity-defying angles. <gasps> like a Ruiz Tremello painting. Yeah, there you go. The highest of all the terraces on this city planet seems small and flat, but is surmounted by a column of the darkest black imaginable atop which burned a small, pale flame. Mm. And then he sees the aliens who live in this planet. Oh, I bet they're either ludicrous or horrifying. Described as sinuous and serpentine, their motions blur of swiftness and infinite grace. Oh, like snakes. Quote, and if the colors of the buildings were agony to his eyes, the living, unstable hues that writhed and crawled over the beings were so frightful that his gaze rebelled. So terrifying. For this reason, he never knew just how they were shaped. <laughs> he didn't want to look at them? His eyes couldn't stand to look at them. Ugh, this place sounds horrible. I would not want to be there. But you said that you wanted to be the one. I never want to be the one. I want to be the one behind the one. Ooh. So I get the sweet, sweet rewards, and I don't have to die as the one. And you can stab the one in the back if the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, and just take his loot. <laughs> one of the aliens stands below the great black pillar. It's boneless and writhing, with a single great eye that stared from a scarlet and purple face. Oof. The egg god being creature mm -hmm. that transported him there slowly makes him understand that these people, if that's what they're called, mm -hmm. were different not only in appearance, but their very substance was not flesh and blood. Their atoms were arranged in different patterns. Probably not carbon-based. They obtained a nourishment in an incomprehensible way from a source that he would never understand. <laughs> their emotions were beyond his, and their sexes were far more numerous than mankind's. Oh. The egg, who I'll just call the egg from now on, mm -hmm. makes him understand its plan. Quote, a sort of veil of illusion was to be dropped between him and these alien beings. To him, his form would seem one of their own. Through the veil, his speech would be filtered and changed into their incomprehensible mode of communication. Incomprehensible. And to him, they would have the appearance of humanity. Their speech would be understandable. Their curious emotions translated into familiarity. How? Through the veil. Yeah, but if they're not, like, they're completely alien, how could you possibly have some kind of a human equivalent? That's a very good point that I will ignore and move <laughs> on with. Okay. Even their multiple sexes would be resolved arbitrarily. No, boo! The egg communicates to Dixon that it will protect him as he enters the city, and it tasks him with a mission. Search out to the temple of the god, find its vulnerable spot, and hurry the fuck up before the god realizes what's happening. Sure, just Death Star that. Also, the egg admits that the veil of illusion that it's casting over Dixon takes a lot of its energy, 
and if the veil falls, Dixon will likely go mad in a very short time. The briefing concluded, Dixon is veiled in darkness and feels himself falling to the surface. Landing in the city to look out on the alien landscape, rendered slightly less alien by the egg's veil. Slightly. (laughs) But a sound distracts him, and he glances over to see at his side, quote, She was slim as a sword blade in her steel robe, standing under the mighty tower of the Black Pillar, and she was lovelier than a dream. According to the interpretation of the augmented reality. It's a sexy human female, of course. Totally human, totally sexy and female. Don't even go there, dude. She has black hair and curls down to her shoulders, and her skin appears to be bright metal. Eyes blue, and her lips glowing red like hot embers. We're all hot humans in augmented reality. Looking at her through the egg's veil, Dixon immediately falls madly head over heels in love with her. Oh, he would not do well in the internet world. He'd be catfished like crazy. (laughs) To quote, for an instant he wanted to burst into a crazy song. And give her his credit card number and all of his money. (laughs) Oh, she's a Nigerian princess? (laughs) He sure is. To quote again, he knew that she was a faceless, crawling thing, without sex, without any remotest kinship to anything he knew. And yet, this illusion was very lovely. Okay. She gawks at Dixon, or at least whatever version of Dixon that the egg has made him into. Is she also like, ooh, sweet, hot, gooey, alien thing, person? And she asks, from whence have you come? Dixon doesn't reply. Instead, he looks up at the great black pillar with the pale flame atop it. And says, hey, baby, she come from heaven? (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember that pickup line. Are you an angel? Are you an angel? Because it looks like you fell from heaven. There you go. And hit every brand on, on the beauty <laughs> tree on the way down. So he looks up at the great black pillar with the pale flame atop it, and the girl, the human woman girl, who's definitely no. human, takes this as an answer. And falls to her knees before him, declaring, I knew it. I knew my God would send you. Oh, praise great ill. Oh, he's the chosen one here, too. Who has sent me such an envoy. Ooh. So we now know the God who is who is supposed to be dispatched. His name is Ill. I-L. Mm-hmm. All caps. Both of them capital. Oh, good. Because he's a God. Yep. Unlike the egg, who doesn't have a name. Nope. But it, he will, as soon as he becomes a God. He can give himself any name he wants. Dixon looks down on her and thinks about telling her how, no, he's actually there to murder the god ill. He should not do that. But he realizes that deceiving her might just help his cause. Yeah, obviously. All the best love stories start out like that. Man, he would not do well in this current era in which we are in. Quote, he had entertained no scruples about displacing the god of a maniacal world peopled with writhing monstrosities. Mm -hmm. But this was different somehow. This Because she's pretty... Female, human, woman, girl. Because her avatar is so pretty. She tells Dixon that she's the high priestess of the god ill and has served him with all her heart for many cycles, praying constantly for an envoy to come among them. Dixon reaches down and lifts her human chin, which is definitely human, so that she can make eye contact with him. And he can't help himself. He's so caught up in her beauty that he leans down and kisses her. Ah, <sighs> Seriously, this guy's just, just asking to get duped. 
and for an instant the whole strange world reeled and swam in a heady pleasure like nothing he had ever known before. I was dicted. The kiss complete. The girl looks bewildered and slightly confused, puzzled, yet smiling. Dixon also feels confused, because he's not too sure what that kiss felt like to her through the veil. Do you ever really know what it feels like for the person you are kissing? You do not. And he's also kind of still disturbed by the fact that she's not human. But he's going he's with it. He's not disturbed by this at all. To quote, she was human. She was lovely. She was everything desirable and sweet. And she did not even exist, save as a crawling horror upon whom in her normal guise he could not even dare to look. Also, he's only seen her fake facade for two seconds. He knows nothing. But she looks up at him with those bright blue eyes, and she smiles and says, What was the meaning of that, O divine envoy? Also, what's your social insurance number? <laughs> you are to call me Dixon, he said, and that was, well, just a form of greeting. No, dude, what are you starting? The way they greet one another in Great Ill's Domain in Paradise, the girl asks. Oh, good God. Then I return your greeting, O Dixon. She embraces him and they kiss passionately. But Dixon, after a few moments, can't help but think of how she actually looks, so he pulls away, uneasy. Yeah, dude, seriously. Worried that he's falling in love with a hallucination. That he's seen for five seconds. He's the one? Really? He's the one. The chosen one. Uh-huh. How pleasant a thing is this new way of greeting, she says. And now, O oh Dixon, you have but to command me in all things. Oh, Jesus. What would you in Ill's world, city? She uh, asks if he wants to inspect Ill's temple, or perhaps witness how devoutly the whole world adores him. Ill, the envoy of the god Ill. Mm-hmm. I mean Dixon, the envoy of the god Ill. Mm-hmm. He agrees. Yeah, he, uh, he'll go check out the temple. So she leads him across the terrace and down a ramp to a city street filled with hundreds of worshippers. Unnamed human woman priestess announces to the crowd that Ill has sent an envoy. And everyone falls to their knees, and word spreads, and hundreds more start rushing to the scene, hoping to glimpse Ill's envoy. As Dixon examines the city, he finds it curiously blank, as though the veil he's peering through doesn't properly translate what he's seeing. For there are no markets, no shops, no obvious residences, just blank building shapes. There's no signs, there's no directions, there's no billboards. Terrifying. There's no Swiss chalets or Dunkin' Donuts. Gasp. The priestess leads Dixon through the parted crowd and into a vast open building, a massive empty chamber where a pool of shining liquid bubbles in its center. There's a great bong sound mm -hmm. of a symbol being struck, and Dixon watches as a person enters the temple from an arch on the opposite end. The also-human creature approaches the glowing pool and seems to be swallowed up by the light. Is that a portal, or is that ill? Dixon asks her what's happening, and she says, There is never an interval through all of time when one of us has not completed his cycles and is ready to return to the flame. Oh, he's being eaten. The symbol struck again, and another person approaches. Yeah, they're definitely being eaten. See, here comes another, and for countless ages it has been so, for our numbers are great enough that the stream of voluntary sacrifices need <sighs> never falter. Yep. So we nourish Ill's flame and keep it burning. Sure. Ill seems like a lovely person god. Oh yeah. Seems about on par with the other gods. <laughs> Dixon examines the temple and the pool and the light. 
and notices that the roof of the temple seems to focus the light from the pool and transmit it to the pale flame atop the black pillar outside. And that, he realizes, that flame is ill. Ah. A word forms in his mind, a word that he realizes he need only speak to unleash the egg god to attack ill. Oh, so he wasn't supposed to attack ill, he was just supposed to, like, Trojan... Trojan horse to Trojan, find where ill is. Trojan the egg in. Yeah. And now that he knows exactly where ill is atop the black pillar, mm-hmm. he need only speak the word to start the battle between the gods. Was he going to uh, completely um, backstab his benefactor for a fake pretty girl? But he can't do it. He looks into the eyes of the priestess. The fake The human eyes. eyes. The blue eyes of a human with brunette hair and curls and skin like metal. And lips like fire. And she looks into his eyes, and she wonders why she seems to note a veil between them. She's frightened by the sight and embraces Dixon tightly. She's frightened by his veil, so she grabs him and hugs him? Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. She's like, what's going on here? Oh, but you're so lovely. You're terrifying. I'd better hug you. He muses about what's actually happening, you know, minus the veil, but holds her tightly and confesses his love. Yeah, okay. The priestess doesn't know what love is, peers into his eyes, and confesses that before him, she didn't even know how lonely she was. And then she pickpockets his cell phone and his wallet. And now that he's there, she can't imagine life without him. Sure. As Dixon looks at her and glances around the temple, he realizes that the veil already seems to be wearing thinner. Uh-oh. He's been there too long already, and he can't yeah. help but confess to, quote, I am not from ill. I have been sent to destroy him. Why would you say that? I'm a man from a world so different from yours that you could never bear to look upon me in my real form. Because mm, he'd be disgusting. You see me as an illusion, just as I see you. And now, I must go back to my own world, alone. <laughs> she wants to go with him. And when Dixon says that she wouldn't survive, she says she'd rather be dead than live without him. Oh, really? Five seconds. They've seen each other for, like, less than half a day. Sometimes that's how it works. Sure. When an alien meets another alien, sometimes it's just true love in the first five seconds they meet each other. That is literally the plot of all the best stories. (laughs) She says she'd rather be dead than live without him, but then realizes that even if she throws herself into Ill's light pool murder temple thing, (laughs) even in death they may not be together because she'll return to Ill. And if Dixon dies, he doesn't know where he's going to end up, though he doesn't belong to ill. And that's not fair. If they can't even be together in death... Why bother dying? Exactly. She says she's been a priestess her whole life. But looking at Dixon, she chooses him over ill. And she urges him to destroy ill. Destroy Mm. him now so that they can be together. Here we go. She wanted this the whole time. He looks down at her, holding him tightly. And the veil starts to lift, and he sees her as she truly is. And vomits. Quote, A thing whose wild, looped limbs and sinuous body rippled and crawled with the moving tints of madness. Sexy? It was slippery and horrible to the touch. And from the midst of a shifting, featureless face, a great lucid eye stared up at him with (sighs) desperate horror. She sees him, too, and how disgusting he is with his weird, solid pink flesh. As if it was looking upon something so frightful that the very sight was enough to unseat its reason. Yeah, gross human bodies. Yuck. Dixon closes his eyes and holds her even tighter. 
and then speaks the word to unleash the egg. Egg! The egg god is unleashed and attacks ill, and they battle for an entire page of psychedelic descriptions. Woo! Words like whirling and... Swirling and twirling! Exactly! (laughs) And there's darkness, and there's noise, and there's shrieks and whistles and bangs and bells and some other stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. A cacophony. And after a long... Yes, a cacophony. Exactly. And after a Cacophony. Lo- that's the one. <laughs> and after a long while, there's a silence in the temple before the winning deity speaks. Bow before your egg. My chosen priestess, the god Ill declares... <laughs> Sorry, so, alien egg. So you would have had me destroyed. And you, Dixon, sent by my enemy to open the way. You are a very alien creature, Dixon. And disgusting. Only by the power I wrested from that being which assaulted me can I perceive you at all, and your mind is chaos to me. (laughs) Everyone else too. What spell have you cast over my chosen priestess so that she no longer obeys me? Sex. Have you heard of love, demanded Dixon aloud? Ill muses for a moment, and then says no, there is no such thing as love in all his universe. (laughs) Wow, sounds like a nice place. Dixon bumblingly tries to explain the concept of what love is. <laughs> good luck. And does a poor job of it. Uh-huh. Ill basically grasps the concept, but still doesn't know why his priestess would choose to fall in love. <laughs> and Dixon explains that even if they may be completely alien to each other, he and unnamed priestess both have a spark of individuality within them. Me and this chick here are love. <laughs> You know, deep within them, in their self, a an anima, and each of their an sp- anima, and each of their sparks of self are in love. Uh-huh. Sure. And the priestess says the same thing, and looking up at Dixon and kind of writhing in horror, <laughs> it says the same thing that yeah, it is love, and love is deeper than mere appearances. <laughs> and yes, she would murder ill for a chance at being with Dixon forever. She loves him, fully and completely. Hey, if you're not willing to murder someone for the one you love, you don't deserve that person. But there's nowhere in life they can ever be together. Because it's not like Dixon can stay there. It's true. And it's not like she could come back to Earth. Mm-mm. Where she would be a normal human woman. Sure she would. <laughs> so, Ill wonders, if you can't be together in life, what's your solution? Death. And Dixon muses that... Quote, there can be no such thing as union for us anywhere in life. In death, perhaps? But I do not know. Do you? No, the god ill confesses, going on to say that when people cast themselves into his flame, yeah, he definitely feeds off their energy. Yeah, he just eats them. They're not going anywhere. But he also always notes a small part of each self escaping him. Oh, okay, they do go somewhere. Something intangible but real that goes somewhere where he doesn't know. Hmm. For the god Ill is alive and does not know what happens after death. Hmm. Interesting. Dixon thinks that maybe in that place, wherever they go, maybe they can be together. Forever. Forever. Ill thinks for quite some time. Quote, This love which linked them, two beings so alien, could not flicker out with their lives. It was too great, too splendid, far too strong. He was no longer uncertain, no longer afraid, and hope began to torment him exquisitely. And thus we reach the final words of the story. Mm -hmm. Die, then, 
said ill. Oh my god. <laughs> For an instant, the darkness lay unbroken about them. Then a little flicker ran indescribably through it. The air shook for a breathless moment, and Ill was alone. Dun, dun, dun. The End of The Bright Illusion by C. L. Moore from 1934. She should have just left the last line as well died in. So, that is a uh, true story. So the moral of the story is, if you're not willing to... No, I don't know what the moral of the story is. The moral of the story is always fall in love. Don't fall in love with aliens. You'll just die. No, just fall in love with whoever love chooses you to fall in love with. Boo. If it's a Nigerian prince, then so be it. You know, you got to chase those feelings. Break to death. You know those feelings are true. When you look down at the person in your arms and you say... And you recoil in horror at their ugly alien visage. Horrible to the touch. Horrible to the senses. That's how you know it's love. That's how you know. Wow. (laughs) C.L. Moore, Catherine Lucille Moore... (gasps) I was going to say Catherine. ...was born in 1911 and died in 1987. She was famously married to the science fiction author Henry Kuttner... Who you may recall from episode three, was it? Or maybe four? I don't keep track. The Time Locker. Mm-hmm. It was so good. That was a good one. She wrote a bunch of stories before meeting him and marrying him, and then they wrote a bunch of stories together. Oh, that's sweet. We're going to have to do one at some point. Yes. She's the author of books such as Mutant, Well of the World, Beyond Earth's Gates, Doomsday Morning, Valley of the Flame, The Dark World, No Relation to Thor 2. <laughs> as well as lots of collections and tons of short stories. So this has been the Everett Book Club. You can visit us online at www.everettbookclub.com. Oh, there it is. Or email us at everettbookclub at hotmail.com. Or take a look at our Instagram, where I have been updating it. You sure have. Occasionally. Mm-hmm. You know they don't even tell me how many likes that I get anymore? But then I click on it, I have to do an extra click, and then I see it's like, oh, 40. Wow. Nobody wants to have to click more than they have to click. I just get bored and stop clicking. Me too. If you or your organization are building an artificial intelligence, Marguerite and I are available to administer Turing tests in 2021. Please note, there is no guarantee of accuracy, efficacy, or professionalism in anything we do. So, Marguerite, according to my maps, we appear to be in the middle of nowhere. You could just say that we're lost, you know. But we're not lost. We're in Canada, and we've got three weeks to make it to California for Christmas. Mm, How are we going to get there? By going south, and maybe a little bit west. I guess that sounds plausible. Oh, I'm running low on napalm. We're going to need more before crossing the border. You know how those Americans are. Oh, I know. They have vending machines selling guns, but you try and use napalm, and suddenly everyone's accusing you of war crimes. So weird. Didn't Reagan win his election by lighting Jimmy Carter on fire during their death match? I remember that from history class. Exactly. So hypocritical. Completely hypocritical. <laughs> <laughs>